0: This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. Some more exciting answers to the baffling and intriguing questions of science.
1: Up and Adam, science on
0: FBI. Alice Williamson can't be on the mic this morning, but luckily we've got a Dr. Vish Mazouk in the studio with us, sitting in. Vish, how are you going? Pretty good. How are you, Lucy? I'm very well. This isn't your first radio debut. You have been no. on Back Chat before <laughs> with Heidi Pet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this morning we are talking science, as we always do, and in particular, the IG Nobel Prize. What is this? How is this different to the actual Nobel Prize?
1: So the Nobel Prize, I guess, uh, is, you know, the greatest achievement you can um, achieve in of science time, yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah not even in science just in everything um <laughs> awarded to you know amazing scientific research that helps mankind um the ignoble prizes are kind of a parody of that but they're not like oh the uh, it's not research that is useless it's still really good research but in areas that you normally wouldn't expect people to um, do research on. So their motto is research that makes people laugh and then think. Um, And I think that's amazing because, you know, that's... um, a lot of the research that actually ends up being important comes from people just being like, oh, I wonder how this stupid thing works. And then, you know, we open up a whole new branch of microscopy or something. So
0: These two stories you've selected to highlight are really quite, quite innovative. <laughs> you wouldn't think of it, but then you do and you're like, oh, my goodness. Both deal with fluid dynamics, and the
1: first mm-hmm. one has to do with cats. So yeah. what's, what's the basis
0: <laughs> behind this story?
1: So um, this research was done by a physicist called uh, Mark Faraday. And he basically... Um, actually, it came... It's a pretty interesting story. He saw an article on BoredPanda.com <laughs> uh, asking... Like someone just being like, is my cat a solid or liquid? Or I think it actually said... That post said that um, this person thought that... Um, cats are actually liquid. So he was like, "Well, let's look at this." And so um he published a paper. That's actually quite funny if you want to look it up because he just has a pictures a series of pictures of cats in different um uh, containers. <laughs> so he put them in boxes and in small bowls and it's large true,
0: bowls. It's you see them you see them in vases and different mm-hmm. memes of them in like clear clear containers <laughs> just totally taking up the space. So exactly, naturally people yeah. could think well,
1: that's what water does. So are mm. they a fluid? How did he investigate it? So he's a rheologist, and that's a branch of physics that deals with the states of matter. So basically, they look at um, what a solid is, what a liquid is, what a gas is. So a solid is basically something that um, doesn't change its volume um or or shape, basically, unless a force is applied to it. And a liquid is something that can change its volume uh, and fills in the shape of whatever container it's put in. And so he wanted to look at um, different um, states of cats. And what he found was that actually... Cats can occupy both states. Uh, I know everyone knows Schrodinger's equation or Schrodinger's principle, you know, the cat is dead or alive. But also cats can be solid or liquid depending on um, what state they're put in. So he gave this example of like... You know, you put a cat in a box, and it will change its uh, volume and shape to fill in the space of the box. But if you try to put it in a bathtub full of water, it basically goes solid and like immovable. Wow. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's it's a bit tongue in cheek, but um, there's you know he actually used a lot of physics equations and modeling <laughs> and it's pretty interesting.
0: Did they have to did he provide photos or footage of the different cats mm-hmm. that he had to investigate this yeah. with? <laughs> were they stoked on it or were
1: they off it? Um, they, they, I mean some some people some of the cats people some of the cats look pretty happy sitting. There's like a there's a picture of a tiny cat in a wine glass. Oh. <laughs> which is so cute. simultaneously cute and also a little bit sad. But (laughs) Um, yeah, no, it's a a pretty funny paper. I would recommend people check it out.
0: So we have confirmation. Cats can either be liquid or a solid, depending on what state they're in. Mm -hmm. This second story, people might be interested, particularly if they're heading to work with a cup of coffee this morning. This story, the Mm. best way (laughs) to carry a coffee with minimum spillage. First up, Bish. What is what what is an impractical way to hold a cup of coffee? <laughs> um,
1: apparently, the most impractical way is to hold it the way most people hold it by the um, uh, by the handle. Yeah. Uh, so that. So we're talking coffee in a mug, not a takeaway yes. coffee. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in a mug, the. the it's actually a lot more complicated than you. And like reading this paper, I realized just walking is a lot more complicated than we would think, but also like holding something while walking is a lot more complicated than you think. Cause if you think of someone walking, you just imagine the up and down motion of them walking somewhere. But, um, this person who did the study, Ji Won Han, uh, discovered that when you're holding something, it's not just the up and down motion of the coffee, but also, um, the sideways motion of your wrist as well that, um, gives in that extra resonant frequency. So there's all these resonant frequencies of the coffee and the cup. Um, And when the two match, that's when you get maximum spillage. Um, So he found the better way of holding a cup of coffee is by um, uh, holding it from the top. So he called it the claw-like method of holding a cup of coffee. So that like reduces the wrist side to side motion in a, a little bit, um, or apparently if you walk backwards. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: which is definitely easier and more ergonomic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you hold it like a claw, can it potentially, mm. like the rising heat hurt your hand. Oh,
1: that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, I think he was working with cold cups of coffee. Oh, so... <laughs> come
0: on, G1. No. <laughs> yeah.
1: There was also, they did an interesting thing where they looked at um, foam and if they put foam on top of the coffee, does that reduce spillage? And it does. So maybe that's where the latte came from. <laughs> that's true.
0: I do mm-hmm. have to ask a bit of context.
1: Yeah. He is a sophomore
0: majoring in physics and astronomy what made him want to investigate coffee spillage? Did he have an
1: incident? Or? Um, the? No, I think he, he mentioned uh, spilling cups of coffee, um, I guess. When you're a PhD student, um, you basically run on coffee. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I'm sure, you know, we have in our department is just, just coffee stands every morning, everywhere, just from people spilling cups of coffee. So I assume it's a worldwide problem. A worldwide
0: phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So carrying cups of Cups of coffee. Sorry, you got to do it backwards or grab it from the top.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, just put a lid on it. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: guess. Just put a lid on yeah. it. <laughs> So this is the Ig Nobel Prize. Do they win an actual
1: prize? What do they get for um, the findings? Uh, they get to give a talk at ha- Harvard. Um, so the Ig Nobel Prizes happen every autumn. So they were just announced last Thursday at Harvard, um, and they get to um, give a speech. So they actually invite um, actual Nobel Prize winners as well. So it is, you know, quite a a big deal. Yeah. Um, and it it is, you know, good work that's recognised. Just sort of unusual research that makes Mm. people
0: laugh but then think and Mm -hmm. you've certainly got people thinking this morning that's dr bish Mazouk in the studio for up and adam now next we are talking a pretty interesting story how fitness technology used by humans is being
1: used to track an endangered Mm -hmm. fish Talk yep. us through this one. So the uh, sawtooth fish um, is an endangered species um, of shark in the um, in the Kimberley region of Western Australia. So the Fitzroy River is home to probably one of the last populations of this fish in the world. Um, so it's actually on the critically endangered list um, at the moment. And it used to be quite prevalent across the Atlantic and the Pacific, but now that's kind of like the last stronghold. Um, so researchers at Murdoch University were trying to figure out how they can track this fish better, observe its movements, where it's going, um, how long it's resting for, and apparently Fitbits are perfect <laughs> for that uh, requirement. That's amazing. Now we did mm-hmm. mention they are endangered. Mm-hmm. Why, why are they
0: under serious threat
1: um global warming basically Mm. so that's just pushing the populations um further out and they're like um they're kind of fish that they they can survive in different um saltwater regions so they can move from the sea up to so like saltwater to freshwater conditions and they can survive um a a range of saltwater uh areas but yeah, it's basically, you know, global warming is pushing them further and further out. So
0: for people maybe like me who, are you know, are a little bit lax when it comes to fitness, um, <laughs> <laughs> I need to work on that. But what it, what is the Fitbit? What does it do?
1: Uh, so it can track your movements basically in three dimensions. So um, it just monitors, you know, yeah, movement and... It's, so it's not just like in, in two planes, it's, it's three dimensional as well. So that's what's important with these fish because, you know, they can track when they rest or when they move. So it's not just where they're going, but also like how much they're moving as well. Um, which is important. So I don't, they're not they are not using Fitbits um, as they are. Like, they're not putting the, them on their little <laughs> fins or anything. It's the, the same technology that uh, Fitbits use. Yeah, they're not, like, a, sponsored
0: by Fitbits yeah. or anything.
1: <laughs> no. yeah. yeah, probably saying Fitbits a bit too much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Fitbit, do you want to uh, give us some... No, I'm kidding. Um Do you want to mention here that this is a 15-year study, so mm. they've been chipping away at this. Was there a eureka moment where they kind of went, oh my gosh, this could actually work. This could be applied to this species.
1: Um, probably, yeah. Um, I'm not really sure like what the thought process was. The exact was turning the... point, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think uh, this technology has been around for a while. So, yeah, there were probably... In... If it were me, they would probably had to get it through fund like lots of uh, funding grants and rounds first before. So they would probably had this idea maybe like five years ago. Yeah. But only now are they able to actually get out in the field and and implement it.
0: Something I find quite surprising they're only attaching it to five sawfish.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is this is this a you know quite a small number by comparison? Like do you reckon they will be able to mm. just knot it down with just five?
1: Uh, there's. it's always an issue when you are working with animals and like there's, you know, ethics um, processes that you have to go through and we're like, yeah, we're going to catch these fish and and modify them in a way. Um, I guess the, the thing that struck me is that um, they mentioned how much data this is going to be producing because it's, you know, tracking fish in three dimensions 24 hours a day, and that actually produces a huge amount of data. So I would say one of the considerations would just be, can we actually um, manage all of this data and store it in a mm. place? So if, you know, if they were tracking like 100 fish, I think that would kind of just get out of hand. Yeah. Um, oh, Finn. Sorry. Very You're quickly. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, that was probably one of the other considerations as well is, you know, just managing all of the data that they're producing as well.
0: And one aspect that I found quite interesting in the article that you sent me is that local Indigenous rangers have been assisting Mm. the researchers and playing a pretty active role in monitoring the fish. How are they doing that?
1: Um, so uh, the article mentioned, you know, they really needed the help of indigenous people who live in that area or just indigenous scientists as well, who understand, um, you know, the movements of the fish and how they can actually uh, trap them. Um, and they mentioned that they were quite excited to be working along with scientists as well to share their cultural knowledge and also uh, and scientific knowledge as well. Um, and, you know, for them, the... The river is really important, the fish living in the river is really important, so they were happy to, you know, share their knowledge for the cause. Exactly. And do Mm. we know
0: when we're going to get the first lot of data or findings from
1: this? Um, I assume they're already getting them at the moment. I'm not sure if they're going to be sharing them, so it's through Murdoch University. Um, Yeah, they're probably already tracking them right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll chuck a link to this story if you want to check it out at fbiradio.com slash programs if you click on up for it. Dr. Bish Mazouk, thank you so much for coming in this morning and having a chat. Thanks for having me. And I do want to give you a bit of a shout-out right here right now. We're very lucky to have (laughs) you on the show this morning because this weekend... You're moving to the UK to work at Cambridge University. Huge. Yes. You're also graduating yeah. this Friday. Thank you so much in the midst of such a busy, life-changing week for jumping on the show. My pleasure. Congratulations. Thank and Thank you. Have an-